The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. This is episode number 388. In just a little while, Chandler and I will be talking about social media and ministry. Later in the podcast, we will get to hear from Sam Albury. Uh, but right now, I'm here with Chandler. Chandler, how's it going? So good, John. So good to see you. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are starting a little bit of a segment uh, called the Resource Roundup, uh, and we are just sharing resources with people uh, that we think uh, may be helpful. And uh, first, I'd love for you to share a resource that's specifically l- related to ministry. It doesn't have to be necessarily specific to youth ministry, but just something that's been helpful in ministry lately, if that's a podcast, an article, uh, a YouTube clip, whatever. Um, what's something that's been helpful for you? Okay, I'm going to throw out a daily double. All right. So a two for one, if you will. Okay. So I somebody recommended to me, this has been maybe a year and a half, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. It's a book a lot of people are talking about, a lot of people have heard about. And um, I read it one time. And it's a quick read. You can sort of, you know, breeze through it. But some really compelling stuff just about a hurried life, busy life, what it feels like to sort of be like moving towards burnout or just to be tired all the time or feel like you're overly connected. I don't know, over overcommitted, things like that, overstretched. Um, so I read it one time, enjoyed it, but sort of put it down. I would think about it a little bit, but not a ton. It wasn't the kind of book that it feels like it was like hitting me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had... Also, someone recommend uh, a Dallas Willard book called Renovation of the Heart. And actually, that book is quoted in Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. So you'll see this is actually headed somewhere weird. But okay. so uh, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard is it's, it's a bit of a more difficult read than Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But Dallas Willard was a uh, philosophy professor at University of Southern California for a long time and um, has some really uh, compelling ways of talking about sort of the the long haul walking with Jesus formation into the image of Jesus being being changed by God's word and God's people and uh, by preaching and prayer and uh, this sort of like beautiful picture of the, the this sort of like long-term slow process of of becoming more and more like Jesus and um and so I after after sort of dipping my toe in the renovation of the heart I I sort of was looking around going you know I still like I'm I don't know. I want to be thoughtful about how I spend my time and the things that I do, but I, I do just feel, I feel busy. I get overwhelmed and frustrated way too easily. And it was sort of pinging me like, oh, this is some of the stuff that was in that Ruthless Elimination book. So I picked that back up. And the second time I felt like I was reading it with just a whole new perspective and new eyes. And it, it, um, oh, wow. it really stuck with me. I mean, it really stuck with me and several things in that book that I've, I've, uh, you know, really tried to just think deeply about and, and, um, and implement so, and it's led to some great conversations with uh, friends of mine and uh, other folks in ministry and things like that. So, I recommend both of those books to you. I'm not saying you have to do the like read Ruthless Elimination, Renovation of Heart, and back <laughs> Ruthless Elimination. I mean, that's a little, a little but it really time. helps. But it really helps. It really, it does really help. It really helps if you do that. But good stuff uh, and and books that I'm yeah, two books I'm really enjoying. Yeah, 
All right. Well, well thanks for, for sharing those. Um, now, a resource that's unrelated to ministry, maybe just something you're enjoying in life. This could be a hobby. This could be a show that you're watching. Um, just something that you're enjoying right now. Yeah. Um, resource is a, a bit of a strong term for what I'm about to say, <laughs> but we, uh, my wife and I really, really enjoy the comedy of Nate Bargatze. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you too. Oh yeah, we we saw yeah. him a few weeks ago. Yeah, in nice. person. Yeah, Love just to one, just to one up your story a little. Well, bit. we saw him too. <laughs> um, he's so great, just yeah. funny, um, and yeah, he's really good. So really enjoy watching him. So we watch all his stuff. We might have even watched some of his comedy specials multiple times. So mm-hmm. um, really enjoy him. And look at the time of this recording. Um, he just had a new. Uh, show on uh, Amazon Prime. So people who are on Amazon Prime can check out Nate Bargatze. And we can also say uh, he's clean. I mean, you can watch him with your family. Never has bad words or any sexual stuff. So yeah, yeah. Family friendly. In fact, that Amazon Prime, it says in the sort of like little, you know, parent rating thing that pops up at the beginning, it says foul language. And I was listening pretty intently and I'm not sure what the threshold is for foul language. But uh, I think he uses the word sucks a few times. I don't know if that, that may, you may have to bleep that out on this podcast. I don't know. But. <laughs> that's true. I think that's the first time it's been said on this podcast. Okay. Um, but yes, I, and I should also say, I have not watched his Amazon special yet. So um, there's just that disclaimer if there is. Valid. I have, and I, st- I stand by it. Recommend okay. it. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for those resources. And we will include Nate Bargatze as a resource. Um Right now, uh, I'm going to be talking to you a little bit more about social media. So everybody stay tuned. All right, I'm back once again with Chandler Makamel. Always scared to say that last name. Um, I just, yeah, feel like I'm going to mess it up. Uh, But hey, Chandler, good to see you again. Good to have you back this week. Did you have a good week last week? Thank you, John. Yes, good to be back. Good to see you. Always good to be with you. Yeah. Um, those who tuned in last week know that we are going to have an ongoing segment. I, I don't know how long this will go on, but just talking about social media and ministry, uh, Chandler and I will wrap this up next week, but then we'll have some other people come on and we'll talk specifically about youth ministry, but then also more broadly than that. And last week, if you missed that, I'd encourage you to go back because um, Chandler and I both, uh, we, we do not utilize social media for ministry purposes and, um, we don't have, uh, any kind of personal accounts. Isn't that right? You don't have any Chandler? That's right. Okay. And I should say, obviously I'm on staff with RYM. RYM does have social media. Um, I don't see any of that. So, uh, just kind of putting that out there. Um, but Go back and listen, because if you're just joining us for this episode, some of our critiques might be, I don't know, a little uh, on the stronger side if you don't hear some of the backstory. I don't know. Um, So it's important to check that out. Um, Chandler, I thought today maybe we could talk just kind of broadly about purposes and pitfalls. Uh, We could talk about some of the common purposes uh, that people utilize um, social media for, uh, and then some of the maybe potential challenges. Um, but before I do that, I did want to share Chris Martin, who is also with us at YLT. 
Um, he has a book that's been released uh, called Terms of Service, but he has a forthcoming book that's going to be released in March entitled The Wolf in Their Pockets. The subtitle is 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People You Lead, and it's written specifically for ministry leaders and kind of getting them to reflect on ways in which uh, social media is impacting um, those that they're attempting to shepherd. And one thing he brings up in there is just kind of the the cautions of the two extremes on this discussion. And to one end of the spectrum, it would be uncritical embrace, which is what we talked about last week. Those who just embrace all forms of social media and not thinking about it critically at all. And then to the other end of the spectrum is passive ignorance. And uh, what he argues for is intentional engagement. And I would say, uh, as he unpacks that in the book, and as I'm thinking of Chandler and myself, as we don't have social media, um, he would say you can still intentionally engage with social media, um, even if you're not on it, by just reading about it, by researching it. And so I would say that that's definitely something that if there are those people in ministry who aren't on social media, encouraging people to, to be in the know about it, to try to stay on top of it, because... As Chris Martin lays out, it's impacting everyone. There's no way we can be totally removed from it because um, it's so prevalent in our culture. And so with that being said, Chandler, just kind of um, you can bullet point these. You can dive in a little bit more. What do you think are some of the more common purposes that people would utilize social media for in ministry? Yeah, you know, this is one of the things that you asked the room at YLT um, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago. And uh, yeah, all, most of the answers that folks gave in the room were things that I have uh, heard before and thought about, but things like, all right, that's where students are. So uh, it's an opportunity to engage them where they are. Uh, it's an opportunity to connect relationally with students, a way to communicate with them. Uh, it's a way to advertise events and give students info on events that are happening or a retreat that's coming up or something like that. It's a way to uh, keep parents in the loop on different things that have happened or will happen. Uh, you could send out a registration link for a, a retreat or something like that, or post a picture from an event so that parents can sort of see what's happening there. You could even, um, some folks mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, you could send out uh, maybe a summary of the teaching from youth group that week or a, a piece of scripture or just, you know, some form of encouragement or something like that. So those are a few of the things that come to mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I had forgotten about, uh, send out some of the highlights of what was being taught. And, um, yeah, that was, that was a helpful use for sure. Um, uh, something, uh, you know, that Brent actually shared was the expediency of communication. Um, you know, if an event's canceled or something like that, it's a way to get information out quickly and make sure people know. Or I even think of whenever there's a need in the church or if there's some kind of, you know, emergency for a family, you can get a lot of information out and notify people. And so we would both say, without a doubt, there are useful purposes for uh, social media. We want to continue to say that people can utilize those in wise ways. Um, uh, and so, uh, yes, we, we want to, you know, encourage people to, to use that. And we'll, we'll talk about maybe some other ways. Um, I mean, one, two, as I'm, I'm thinking, as we're talking, uh, it's a way to kind of communicate the, the culture or the ethos of your ministry. Um, people can utilize that a lot to kind of give people a picture of what their their ministry is like. And so that can be good. That can also spill over into some negative, um, which we might talk about in just a second. But 
Chandler, I said last week, um, you had kind of highlighted three areas of your ministry and you were saying how social media wasn't necessarily helping y'all in those purposes. So maybe just unpack that a little bit more for us. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So, uh, we say this is, this is, I I owe so much of this to RYM, but coming up with a, uh, a sort of mission in our youth ministry, this, this, uh, I guess we'd call it a vision, actually, the the thing that we want to see that, uh, we hope will happen in the future. Uh, so we want to see students connected to Jesus, connected to Jesus, loving adults and connected to one another for the glory of God. So we could say more, but those are sort of three categories in our ministry. And so as I think about using or not using social media in our ministry, I'm so with you. There are all these potential benefits to social media, but it was really sort of asking the question, okay, considering all the potential downfalls of social media, the potential sort of negative impact of of social media and using it and being on it and students being on it, me being on it, all that, uh, is it worth it when we are aiming at these sort of three goals? Is it worth it for us to use social media? And uh, it's not that it was like a landslide. You know, like it's just crystal clear that if we want students to know Jesus, we should never use social media. It's not like that at all. But it was sort of just just sort of weighing on the scales. Hey, okay, this is the thing that we want to see happen. Students know Jesus, Jesus loving adults, and one another. Um, and, you know, probably within that, the, the easiest place to push back would be, well, okay, you want students to be connected to one another. Social media is a place where they're connected to one another. And I, I can totally see that. I can totally see students being connected to each other. Also, I'm like, man, I would so much rather our students feel like when I show up at youth group, I'm, that's when I'm with my friends. Uh, that's when I'm with these people who really know me and care about me. Same with like the meaningful connection with a Jesus loving adult with amazing volunteers at downtown press. I'm like, if they connect over social media and they can communicate and share photos and stay in touch and stuff like that, that's great. But I would take the real life connection uh, 10 times out of 10 over that that connection, that, that quote-unquote connection on social media. So I love this line. John Mark Comer uh, says this, that, that social media gives the facade of connection, but it doesn't end up oftentimes resulting in real community. Hmm. Uh, and so I, I sort of was like, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take that uh, idea and run with it and say, could we connect uh, over social media? Yeah, but uh, we just don't have to. And it seems like the negatives outweigh the positives uh, when it comes to pursuing those three goals. That's a good, that's a good quote. Um, and I do think maybe along those lines, I think, you know, one of the purposes that a lot of people point to is encouragement. And maybe as we're talking about uh, ministry, more specifically, we're talking about spiritual encouragement. Maybe that's sharing a verse of scripture. Maybe that's just sharing an encouraging truth. Um, and I don't want to downplay that, that, uh, is important. That is significant. The Lord can use that. And I'm convinced the Lord does use that without a doubt. Um, but maybe kind of somewhat playing off that quote a little bit, I think we might overstate, um, how much, uh, encouragement is actually being permeated through, um, social media with our ministries. And, and I think too, it kind of goes to something we were talking about in the class was, um, asking the question, and I think this is good for all youth workers just to think about is why are our students using social media? And I think we might could say the number one reason is entertainment. Um, that some form of entertainment, if that's just kind of seeing what your friends are up to, if that's watching a video, whatever, but it's not, 
um, necessarily looking for spiritual encouragement, that it's, you know, they might just scroll past something that you post. Um, Chandler, I'd love for you just to kind of react to that a little bit, give give some thoughts on that. Yeah, it's sort of like, um, you know, <clears throat> I like this question of what is, if, if social media were a substance, like a, you know, food or a drug or something like that, what substance would we compare it to? You know, what would it be? And so you'd say maybe sugar, alcohol, uh, cocaine, maybe it's like hydrocodone, you know, or Advil, or or maybe it's just like carbs, you know. But in all those, I mean, the, the immediate question with all those is sort of like, okay, some of those things are very useful, necessary, but with all of them, we immediately have to have a conversation about limitation. Hmm. But so maybe the most like, you know, gentle of those or most palatable of those is sugar. So it's like, okay, if social media is sugar, and I, I, that's actually, that, that may be a fine sort of, you know, comparison, but if social media is sugar, it's like, okay, do I want, do I want my communication with students, even about something that we taught or, a, a, you know, a piece of scripture reminder or something like that, do I want it to always be packaged in sugar, the sugar of social media that I would simultaneously say, hey, sugar's not always evil, but if you eat sugar all the time, it's going to be really bad for you. So you know, it, it, it's almost like, of course, of course, sometimes you could, you could, you know, hand a student a multivitamin that's wrapped in sugar. And sometimes that's necessary. You know, we give kids like, frankly, multivitamins that are gummies and they, gummies, that, yeah. we like, we help them, <laughs> we help them eat their vitamins because they're, they're sweet. But it's like, well, okay, do I always have to do that? And is there a, is there an alternative that's actually better? And that, that might actually lead them to consume less sugar overall. Okay. And that would be, you know, therefore better for them in the long haul. Yeah. No, I like how you're you know, talking about that. And I think it is important, you know, as we're talking about, I mean, really just entertainment in general, if that's, you know, streaming something on Netflix or whatever, we, we've got to kind of think of kind of the diet mindset, you know, like what is our media diet? And, you know, yes, there's some of this that can be good, some of it that can be funny, but too much of it is going to impact us in, in most likely negative ways. Um, so I think it's helpful to kind of frame the discussion like that. And I think some of this too, that what we're talking about, this is leading into pitfalls a little bit. Um, and so I, I'd love for you to kind of share some of those thoughts, you know, as I'm thinking of even some of the purposes that, that we're talking about. I mean, humor can be one of those. And we said in the class, look, our youth ministries should be fun. I mean, they don't just solely need to be fun. We need to be obviously communicating the gospel, but we can have fun doing that. And that that's a good thing. And so fun can be a good purpose through social media. At the same time, fun can become a, a negative and a pitfall if we're not cautious. But um, I'd love to hear just some some pitfalls you might want to share as well. Yeah, well, I think about my own story with social media. I mean, I was a, a relatively early, I mentioned this last week, but relatively early Insta user. I was also a relatively early Insta addict, I would say. So I just really quickly realized, man, I'm on this way too much. Uh, so that'd be one of them. It's just, you know, to promote the use of this, uh, this platform that is addictive. It's designed to be addictive. Um, not all addictive substances are problematic in general and should, you know, always be avoided. That's not the case, but... Uh, that'd be a big one. I think too, when I when I when when we sort of consider like what's available to students, especially to young students on something like Instagram or TikTok, uh, a lot of what's on there is just like unhelpful, unwholesome, even embarrassing. You know, if like someone saw what you were sort of looking at, if you click on that, you know, sort of for you page or something like that, it just tends to be what's what's sort of like thrown at us on those platforms. Doesn't tend to be very very helpful, wholesome, or good. Um, 
So those would be two uh, two big ones. I, I think also in, in general the one of the big effects of using social media a lot is sort of turning life into a performance. Uh, this is something that Jonathan Haidt talks a lot about. Um, he's done some research on Gen Z, Gen Z recently, and, and uh, talks a lot about sort of this this performative life that comes out of social media. So um, you're, you're we're now, of course, we're taking pictures that we hope other people will see. We're we're in this arena where everyone can see us. And there's millions of eyes on us. Uh, that's quite a daunting world to put a teenager in. Um, and and yeah, the kind of thing that that. Uh, could be really damaging to a kid to sort of live in that environment for, uh, I don't know, let's say several hours a day for his whole life, his yeah. or her whole life. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that up. Um, yeah. And I think too, I mean, uh, you know, it just is a distraction from our main purpose of why we're at a church, while we're called to disciple uh, teens. Um, and so I, th- I just think, you know, and we've kind of made this comparison in the class that it's kind of like our youth room, right? Like even as we're kind of giving our ethos, our culture through social media, we're kind of, it's an extension of our youth room. And we would all say a youth room is important and the way we have it set up is important. And of course, every church has a different budget and some people can invest more in, in that kind of stuff. But if you invest too much time and attention on your youth room and not the remainder of the ministry. It can distract you from while you're there. And I think the same goes with social media. And it's even to a greater degree, because like you said, so many of these platforms are created to be addictive. And so the loss of time, and if we're you know in the, the church office and we're just glued onto social media all the time, it, it's... Um, it's it's not good, and ultimately uh, it could be stealing uh, from the church. And so we need to be thinking and wrestling with that, and sobered by that. Go yeah. Ahead, and I, you know, one more thing that's coming to mind is, um, you know, like I, we've already got this this sense of like comparison, both individually and I'd say even with like uh, you know other other churches. Right. So if my ministry now has to compete with other churches, well, I'm, that's already happening in a, in a pretty unhealthy way. And so I don't want to play into this sort of like for my own sake, my own comparison of what what we're doing as a ministry compared to what other churches are doing. You know, the thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, parents feel this and, and I, I think youth leaders feel this, uh, that oftentimes what we do immediately sort of gives permission to students. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, this will happen, like, if you accidentally say a word that you have told your kids is not okay to say, and you all of a sudden say it, it's like, all right, now that word's on the table. You know, it's totally fine. <laughs> you didn't have to say it's okay to say, you just said it one time. So I think that can happen with social media, too. It's like, hey, well, I, I don't really know how much time my, my youth leader spends on social media. I just know they have it. And I'm not going to ask, you know, do they spend 15 minutes a day, an hour a day, whatever. But the fact that they have it maybe makes me feel like it's okay for me to, to use it and to be on it. Yeah. As much as no, I, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think those are two good things is being cautious of the competition um, that we can, uh, we're naturally prideful. And I think just a a fruit of that is uh, competition. And so that's definitely going to manifest itself on social media and just the the temptation to look cool um, or to have the cool ministry in town. Um, And then, like you said, giving license to students. Um, So I think those are some good ones. Um, Chandler, I'm glad you're going to be back next week. We'll continue this conversation. Uh, For now, here is Sam Albury. All 
right, everyone, that was uh, Chandler, and he will be concluding his conversation with me about uh, social media next week. Uh, right now, I'm here with Sam Albury. Uh, Sam, how's it going? It's going very well, thank you. Yeah, how are you? Doing well. It's it's good to, to see you. It was great to see you in, in Nashville, I guess, a couple of weeks ago now at the time of this recording, and um, now you're you're back in London. Um, how, are, how are things over there? Things are, things are going well, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm just uh, getting ready to move fully to, to Nashville. So I'm packing things up over here. As I said, we're, we're going to be talking about your, not new book, your, your book is God Anti-Gay and Other Questions About Jesus, the Bible, and Same-Sex Sexuality. Um, but something I did not know until YLT is that there's a second edition of this book um, that, that's coming out. And um, this is, is this 10 years this book has been out now? Is that right? It is, which is why I, th- I felt it probably needed a bit of an update because the world was a different place 10 years ago. Um, the questions people were asking around this topic have changed in the last 10 years. Um, so I figured it would be good to, to give the book a lick of paint and to refresh it, add some new sections, uh, edit down some other bits and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to, to digging into that. Unfortunately, I haven't gotten to, to get a copy. I know you actually said at uh, YLT that uh, you hadn't even gotten a copy, but there were actually some available uh, at the conference. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that's always funny to me that the author doesn't even have a copy yet. And then it it's sold out um, before I had time to pick one up. And uh, did you get one? Did you, were you able to uh, pick no, one No, but up? that's fine. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll get my hands on one. Sure. Um, well, I do always like to begin with the title of a book. Um, how, how did you come up with that? Was that something you and the publishers came up with? But, but how did you settle on this title? Yeah, the, it was originally the first edition was part of a series of, of very short books on big questions that Christians ask. Uh, so that the publisher came up with, it was a toss between is God anti-gay and does God hate gays? And we figured hate was probably... Mm slightly inflammatory way of phrasing the question. So we landed on it's called anti-gay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it is one of those titles. It does uh, uh, grab your attention. And uh, yeah, if it said hate, I wonder how that would have done. <laughs> yeah, I just, I didn't like that title. So I'm glad we went with the one that we used. Yes, yeah. Well, um, again, before we dig into to some of the, the details of the book, um, I'd love for you just to take us back to um, that, that conversation that you first had with your pastor about your struggle. Um, I'd love to just know just h- how you felt that day, what you remember about the, that day, the days kind of leading up to that and the emotions involved. I mean, to share such a vulnerable thing, I'd love for you just to, to start there. Yeah, it was a midweek meeting. Um, the pastor the previous Sunday had been preaching through the second part of Romans 1. Uh, which addresses these kinds of topics. And he'd made a point of saying in the sermon then that if this was something any anyone at the church struggled with, that he wanted them to feel able to share that. And it was the very first time I'd ever felt like someone was giving me permission to say, hey, I'm wrestling with this, and that it might be okay to say that. So I'd said to him at the time, we were, I'd recently preached my first ever sermon at that very church, a week or so earlier so we were due to meet up to go through my sermon anyway and just mm-hmm. to kind of post-mortem on that <laughs> so i said to him hey when we meet up there's something else i want to talk to you about i thought if i if i flag it up 
ahead of time, then that will commit me to having to then raise it in the meeting. Hmm. So, which I then did. We we had the meeting. We went through my my sermon, and he said, "So, what was what was it you wanted to talk about?" And I immediately regretted having mm. said that there was anything else. Mm-hmm. But I just I just blurted out, "I'm really struggling with homosexuality," um, and sort of braced myself for the sky to fall down or something like that. And he just looked at me and smiled, and he just said, "Thank you." He said, that sounds like that was a difficult thing to share. So I just want to thank you for sharing that with me, which immediately put me at at ease and made me think, okay, maybe this was a good idea to have shared this. Um, And as far as I remember, the rest of the conversation really was him just asking me where I was at in the whole thing and what my experiences had been, what the ups and downs were. And he wasn't presuming to know what to say to me straight away he was wanting to understand more of where I was at and that was wise and that's helped me in many conversations since um because I I knew what the bible said I I believed what the bible said I didn't need to be retold that I just I just needed someone else out there to know to be rooting for me to be encouraging me um and to be someone I could talk to about it so I was very very grateful for that Hmm. That's awesome to hear. Um, and, and you, you kind of already answered some of this, but just, I know a lot of parents listen to this podcast and obviously youth workers do. Um, what's some counsel you would give to them, uh, to be those kind of people that someone would want to open up to about this? Just, just something that, that sticks out to you. Yeah, it was interesting. I then started to share with, with a number of my friends, um, and it was interesting because I, I then went through a process of thinking, which which friends do I feel able to share this with? And in most cases, it was friends who I just knew that they would get it. Um, they had gone through pain themselves of one kind or another. Um, or they, they were people who were sort of honest about their own struggles. Um, but I noticed that that made me feel safe to confess that this was something I was wrestling with. And so it's always worth just broadening that question out and thinking, what can any of us do to be people that others feel safe confessing sin to? Um, not being shocked is a, is a good one. Being well acquainted with our own sin, mm-hmm. uh, which means that we're not then going to look down on somebody else's. Um and and therefore means we can be both a person of understanding and a, a person of consolation. Um, not shying away from the, the difficult truths that may need to be shared with people. Um, but my general experience is when people have shared this particular issue with me, they've they're already doing it out of a, a place of heartache. Um, they actually don't need persuading that this is that this is sinful. Uh, they they need persuading that there's grace for them. So that's the other thing I think is is just listening to people carefully, uh, not swooping in too quickly to sort of say what you think needs to be said because what you think needs to be said may not be what needs to be said. And Proverbs eighteen says that to to answer before we hear is folly and shame. And so we do need to listen to people and get a sense of of where they're at of what they need. Of how to be a good support to them, I think that that that's significant as well. 
Yeah, that, that's such a good word. And, and I remember hearing a, a wise counselor uh, years ago uh, just say the, the importance of, of getting comfortable with silence. And I think that that's kind of something that you're, you're pointing to, that so often as believers, and I mean, just in general, uh, we want to fill the silence with talking in words. And especially in those conversations, that can be uncomfortable. And so just having the wisdom uh, to, to keep our mouths shut sometimes and just to, to listen and to sit back and to ask questions. And, and some uh, people, you know, depending on where they're at, I found this when people have, have shared traumatic things with me and are still feeling very raw they're not ready yet to hear Uh, there may be something i'm thinking okay i'm going to need to raise this issue with them but probably not right now maybe the next time we meet um but yeah there's the people not not everyone is ready to hear everything you know they may still be processing it may still be very raw um it's it's a wisdom issue of what to say it's also a wisdom issue of when to say what what needs to be said and sometimes there's wisdom in listening first and then a bit further down the road saying hey let's let's sit down and talk about this mm-hmm. yeah well so um as you opened up about this you began to open up with uh, close friends and family um h- how did you get from that point to then writing a book on this, to, to know that, okay, here's just a handful of people that know, but I mean, I'm looking at the copy of your book, over 200,000 copies sold. How, how did you get to that point where you're sharing something so vulnerable with a broader audience? Yeah, the, the short answer is God really has a sense of humor because when I finished, <laughs> when I'd sort of thought through, okay, who, who do I want around me to know about this? When I finished sharing with the last person on my kind of mental list, I remember thinking, okay, I'm done now. Uh, no one else needs to know. I've I've told the people who are kind of closest to me. And I even, you know, one of my friends even said, are you going to sort of do talks on this? And I said, no, I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be doing that. And I genuinely didn't. Um, but after a, a few years, I just felt a burden. Um, again, 10 years ago in the UK, we were in the process of kind of publicly discussing whether we should allow same-sex marriage as a, as a nation. Um, and I realized that what I was hearing in the kind of, in the media was either a lovely sounding gay rights activist or a cantankerous sounding cultural conservative. Mm-hmm. And I thought what was lacking was a voice from inside the issue saying, hey, for those of us who are, are Christians, God's word to us is good here. It's not easy, um, but it is good to us. And I just felt a burden to to to, to say that. Um, I could see church leaders I knew, some I had trained with, shifting in their views on this as the cultural pressure intensified. I could see members of my own church kind of wondering, are we are we on the right side of this? And I, I wanted primarily to strengthen the church and to say, hey, this is God's word really is good on this. Um, and to hear that from someone who, in one sense, would have more of a stake in, you know, the Bible being affirming than non-affirming. Um, so that that's where I, the, the burden really was to, to strengthen the church. So I, I initially began by sharing with my own church family. Um, I wrote an article that then got picked up by, by TGC. Um, I did a couple of talks on it, had a sense of what questions people had. 
And then when the publisher asked me to write the book, I thought, okay, I think I can do that. I've I've done enough workshops on this to have a sense of, of what people are asking. It was a painful book to write because I was writing about one of my biggest spiritual enemies um, and sources of shame. And I genuinely, at several points, thought, well, I'm never going to finish this book. I'll just, even though it's short, it'll, it's just too painful. And then when I did finish it, I thought, well, you know, maybe this will help a couple of thousand people. And that's great if it does. Um, I don't normally get to speak to 2,000 people. So um, the, it, it taking off in the way that it did was was a surprise to me more than anybody else. Um, I wasn't looking for that. So I was, I just want a quiet life. So um, <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to to kind of be as widely read as it has turned out to be. I'm, I'm thrilled that the Lord has chosen to use it in that way, but I wasn't. I wasn't seeking a platform. Um, mm -hmm. I was seeking to make what I thought was a a small contribution I could make to a big discussion that was going on around me. Well, in in all sincerity, pr praise God that you answered that call. Um, as I was sharing pre-recording, um, as we in our youth ministry, when I was uh, back doing local youth ministry in the church. Um, dealing with this firsthand with, with a student. And as a youth staff, we were looking and there were not resources out there at the time. And so this was one of the only resources and the Lord used it in a mighty way um, to help us in that specific case. And and, and as we're talking to him, I'm, I'm thinking or remembering that I think uh, T4G was maybe the first time I heard you. I want to say you were on a panel with Al Moeller maybe and Russell Moore. Is that is that correct? That's right. I think it was 2014. Are they odd numbers or even numbers, did you say? <laughs> I think it's, it's funny you ask. I think it's even. But somebody yeah, can correct us. It was 2014 because the, the book yeah. had just come out. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Th thank you again um, uh, for writing that. Yes, just such a helpful resource. Um, and as I said, this uh, this marks the, the ten, 10 year anniversary of this book and you talking about how the, the Lord has used it far beyond what you had, had planned. Um, I'd love to know just how did some of these revisions come about? When did you kind of move towards, okay, let, let's modify this thing that's been out there now. Let's make some changes. Just kind of give us some of the behind the scenes there of how you started talking with the publisher about that. Yeah, probably a year, 18 months ago, I, I said to the publisher, I'd like to bring out a new edition and the 10 year anniversary is as good an excuse as any to do that. Um, and I had in my mind that there would be things that needed to be updated. Um, not the theology, obviously, but, but you know, what questions are that people are wrestling with. So I hadn't read the book myself for quite a few years. I don't read my own books, funny enough. Um, <laughs> so I went through it and thought, and, and again, just thought, okay, that sounds quite 2013. Some of the language, um, you know, I think one of the most significant things for me was I, I wrote the original book primarily for Christians. That was the brief from the publisher. That was the aim of the series it was part of. Um, over the ensuing years, I've I've heard so many who've given it to, to non-Christian friends. Um, and even though people who've, who've come to the Lord through it. So I thought, well, if it's if it's being used in that way, let's let's try and make it as fit for purpose as, as possible. So I try to make it as as outsider friendly. Um, I've used slightly different terminology at, at, at some places. I know for for non-Christian LGBT folks, 
even the word homosexuality can be a bit of a sticking point. So I thought, well, I feel no particular loyalty to that word. So I've I've used slightly different terminology that I hope will um, just be easier to to hear from those who are not believers. Um, I want the the gospel to be the only thing that causes offence. But also just the questions that are, are being asked. Ten years ago, all the questions were, you know, does, does Leviticus really mean that? Does First Corinthians really mean that? No one asks that anymore. Yeah. And so that was the first chapter. That's now the last chapter. Um, the real issue now is, is Jesus good? Um, is his word to us on this going to be a good word? And so I've made that sort of front and center um, and other other questions have I've either reduced the space to them so that I can add new ones, or I've I may even have dropped one or two as well. But um, I've just tried to reflect what I see as being the, the sort of the key issues that people are, are speaking about today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I know as you were with us at RYM's Youth Theater training, and and again I think we'll get that recording up on our site um, before too long. So just telling our listeners to to go there. Um, you said something, I can't remember exactly how you, you put it, but um, to, to tell others that we have a better story as believers, um, something along those lines of not necessarily the the negative, but but focusing on the, the positive. Um, did, did some of that kind of permeate this book? I mean, it sounds like the beginning is kind of that. In a yeah, sense. I hope so, because, you know, I think one of the things I've learned to do better over the past 10 years is to is to give the positive answer not just the negative answer i think 10 years ago i was really trying to convince people the bible really does prohibit this now i'm thinking yes that 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 needs to be said but where is the good news um and so that the principle i've i've kind of been operating with is Whenever the Bible gives us the negative, what is the bigger positive that negative is there to protect? Mm-hmm. So if the Bible is saying no to certain forms of sexual intimacy, what is the good thing saying no to that is a way of inviting us into? Um, what is God's positive vision for human sexuality that someone in my situation can get right behind that will actually help me understand why I'm saying no to certain quite deep instincts and quite deep longings in my own heart. So yes, trying to give more of a positive frame and not just a negative frame to the question. I think we've as as a as a wider church over the decades, we've probably done too much simply saying the negative and not saying the positive. Because the gospel is a positive message with lots of negative kind of <laughs> entailments repent and believe the gospel um but i think we need to show what god is inviting us into and not just what he's inviting us to turn away from mm-hmm. yeah that that's excellent and, and it sounds like too as you're you're talking trying to be sensitive uh, to the unbeliever um is this a book you could see uh, someone putting into the hands of of an unbeliever using it almost as an, an evangelistic type tool I, I really hope so. I've I've had that uppermost in my mind. Um, that's the sort of two categories of people I've had most in my mind as I've done the rewrite have firstly been those who aren't Christians, and secondly, those who would call themselves gay, who might not be Christians, or who might be, you know, in a church youth group wrestling with this, not sure what that means or what to do with it. Um, 
those two types of people have been my my biggest priority and i very much had teenagers in mind as well because um there's so much more to say than i've said in this book it's it's a short book mm-hmm. but i've had over the years i've had so many youth pastors say to me thank you for making it short because i can give it to a 15 year old so i said to the publisher whatever else i do i do not want to increase the the word count mm-hmm. And I've managed to find a way of covering a bit more terrain without adding to the the number of words in the book. Um, so that's that's again that's been part of the rationale for that is I want this to be a something a self-loathing fifteen-year-old mm. can pick up and read cover to cover and hopefully find the balm of the gospel as they do say. Mm. That, that's excellent. And that's actually something I, I wanted to, to zoom in on. I mean, not only as we're, we're talking about this being an evangelistic type book, something that helps it is the size of it, um, that you could just put it in somebody's hands. It's not going to be intimidating, but uh, it is very hard to write in a concise way um, in general, but especially a, a topic like this that is so challenging to talk about. And so maybe talk about that a little bit. How challenging was it to write about something like this in such a concise way? It it is challenging. I tend to overwrite anyway. Um, So whenever I write a first draft of a sermon, it's about twice as long as it should be. And I've learned that I can often cut the length without cutting the content. It just, you know, it's a question of taking away redundancies. But I, I found that the struggle with this topic is there's so much nuance that is needed. You want, you want the kind of, clarity of what the bible says with the kind of gracious posture and tone with which christ approaches us um so i've been trying to sort of make sure it's not just saying the right things but saying the right things in the right way um and to to do that as concisely as possible so there was probably more deleting than there was writing um (laughs) uh, at least i felt that way a lot of the time i would spend a couple of days writing and then a couple of days deleting most of what I'd written. Um, but hopefully it means that I've, I've trimmed the fat and will have said what needs to be said, I hope as, as clearly and graciously as I can say it, um, but in a way that won't get people bogged down or, you know, won't put people off. Sure. Really, a particular friend of mine who is, is not the most elegant person on the planet, uh, when he first I lent him an early copy of the book and he gave it back said that and he said that was a two dump read <laughs> which made me realize that's okay cr- i'm not lending cr- him books ever again now that, that's where <laughs> they get read um but uh yeah i want it to be something that isn't going to someone who, there's i want everyone who starts it to be able to finish it mm-hmm. yeah. there's enough half read good books on my own shelf i didn't want this to be something that it's too important for someone not to hear all of what I'm trying to say on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Now, did you put that endorsement on the back of the book, by the way, a two dump read? Did you? Yeah, no, I didn't do that one. Uh, <laughs> I thought probably best not okay. to. Though, with a certain with a certain demographic, that would probably, you know, the 14 year old boy market. Now. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, teenage, teenagers, if that's just across the cover, that, that yeah. might actually help the sales. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, you just kind of said too that, um, you know, with being concise, that there uh, there are times where you're misunderstood, and of course, something like this, um, I'm positive you've gotten a certain amount of criticism, and so I'd love to to just kind of 
hear from you on that of what is some of the pushback you have received what's some of the the criticism you 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 do hear and it just maybe even how to respond to that yeah it's 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 important to know this because for for any anyone doing ministry on this topic and you can't really avoid it if you're in youth ministry someone somewhere is going to misunderstand what you say and so the most one of the things I had to to figure out early on was who am I most concerned about being misunderstood by? I'm not looking to be misunderstood by anyone, but assuming someone's going to misunderstand who who is it most and least important to be misunderstood by? And I made a determination that whenever I speak on this issue, wherever I am um, or write on it, I'm going to assume there is a self-loathing fifteen year old listening to what I say, even if I'm speaking to a room full of old pastors, I'll assume that somehow the audio might end up in the hands of a self-loathing 15-year-old. That's the most significant person for me not to be misunderstood by. And in crafting a message that I hope will give reassurance and peace to the 15-year-old, I may be more prone to being misunderstood by certain parts of the conservative Christian world. But it's worth being misunderstood by them if I can make sure the 15-year-old gets what I'm trying to say. And so when, and I've met that 15-year-old many times over the years, thinking that there's no hope, there's no grace, um, they must be too dirty, too sinful. And so I want to say to them, it, it is, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Which can be misunderstood, sometimes innocently, sometimes less innocently. Mm-hmm. as people saying oh you're not you're not calling people to repentance or you're being too accommodating um but uh, you know I, i'm not looking to be misunderstood but if a i'll just be frank if a if a culturally conservative right-wing bible belt pastor misunderstands me he'll get over it he can have a good blast on Twitter and feel like he's doing something righteous. If the 15-year-old misunderstands me, he might not get over it. Mm. Mm. Um, that's what matters the most to me. Yeah, I, amen to that. And um, yeah, there, there's part of me that does want to dig into Twitter on that <laughs> on that question and just how, uh, yeah, the, the lack of wisdom and discernment that can be there for, for Christians. Twitter um, encourages us in all the things that Proverbs cautions us against, mm-hmm. um, which is why it is um, it's an incredibly dangerous medium. Mm. It's it's very good for certain things and very poor for a whole wide range of lots of other things. Um, and to, you know, to try and right the wrongs of the world, Twitter is not the place to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can be a great place to. Encounter people, find out about people who are out there. It can be a great place to sort of park at parks and biblical thinking, but um, it it is designed to lack nuance mm-hmm. and embodiment, and therefore it, it 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 it's like a red rag to you know the sinful tendencies of the tongue. So it's um, I've learned to actually spend much 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 less time on it. Yes. Yeah. And I couldn't help but think that that was a good tweet, which you said that Twitter encourages everything Proverbs condemns <laughs> or so much. However you said it. The, the medium is just the architecture of the medium is is mm-hmm. 
going right against the grain of proverbial wisdom on that. Mm-hmm. And a resource that was mentioned, um, I can't remember if it's a couple of weeks ago now, but uh, Paul David Tripp's book, a Reactivity, um, just talking about um, yeah ways in which Christians use social media and yeah. trying to so foster some... Oh, absolutely. And there's so much where he's addressing Twitter specifically in yeah. that book. <clears throat> yeah, partly out of, as a result of reading Paul's book, I've, I've, well, I don't have it on my phone anymore. I, I have it only on my laptop. And mm-hmm. then very occasionally do I paint my head in and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's rarely edifying. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Kevin DeYoung said something along the lines of uh, it's, more edifying to go bobbing for uh, gummy bears in a toilet than reading the the comment section on Twitter. (laughs) Oh yes. Gosh. Yes. Um, That's good. That's good counsel right there. Um, Well, I do want to ask, I've got a couple more uh, questions before we we wrap things up. Uh, But, but maybe talk to us a little bit about that of, of how do you try to, respond in a Christ-like way. I know there are times where you want to rightly defend the message you're communicating, uh, but then also realizing there are times we just have to lose and and realize we're going to be misunderstood because obviously Jesus Christ was misunderstood. And so that's something that comes with the territory for Christians. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's a tension because I genuinely want and need faithful criticism. Um, I'm not going to get everything right. And I need, there needs to be ways in which I can hear people telling me when I've got things wrong. Now, the best place for that is my local church and the people to whom I'm accountable. But if if someone is offering a good faith criticism, I really want to take it seriously. Um, if it's just someone, you know, shooting from the hip on Twitter, I'll probably ignore it. But if I'm sensing, actually, I think there might be a point that they're making under their, you know, this happened actually last year, a, a friend of a friend emailed me because he had a particular critique um, and he was gracious in the way he expressed it. He was clearly heartfelt and it meant a lot to him. So I took the critique and received it. It was a, it was a fairly lengthy email and then he and I followed up with a, with a FaceTime because um, I wanted to make sure I'd fully understood him. And I had my own gut reaction to the, to the critique I thought it was a, a valid point, but I didn't think it was actually applicable in my in my situation. But I took it to my two pastor friends at my own church and said, hey, I just want to make sure, I, you know, this is my sense is I think I'm OK on this, but I just wanted someone else to, to double check my I don't want to grade my own homework on this. Um, have I missed something? Do you think I'm right or wrong? And they, they, they did agree with me as it, as it turned out, but I found the process actually edifying and instructive because it made me rethink something and, and make sure, do I still think that's the right course of action? Um, it, it, raised, it made me ask good questions I needed to ask. So criticism is great. Um, you know, the, the faithful are the wounds of a friend or whatever that, that mm-hmm. proverb is. Um, so it's making sure that in our, we, we mustn't take stuff like Twitter more seriously than it should be taken. But we must make sure we are looking for making ourselves ab- available to godly pushback and criticism um, and, and getting 
a sense of discernment of, of learning how to recognize good faith criticism that is going to be constructive to bad faith criticism that's just going to waste your time and, and emotionally exhaust you in the process. Mm-hmm. Because some people are just unsatisfiable. Yes. And so if they raise a particular issue and you respond, well, actually, I think this answers your question. They'll, they'll be, well, but what about this then? And you realize, okay, this they, they just want to be angry at me, mm-hmm. irrespective of what I happen to say anyway. That's that's just a waste of their time. I don't want to be an, an occasion for them to be sinning. Um, and it's going to raise my heckles and potential for kind of ungodliness in my heart as well. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's some great counsel. And just again, thanks again for wading into these waters and into these conversations. Um, that can be yeah, extremely intimidating. Um, I, I know we're needing to, to wrap up, uh, but I'd love for you to give just maybe a final word to parents that are listening as well as youth workers. Just anything that comes to mind, um, you know, a parent who may have a child who's struggling with this in the home, a youth worker who has a student who's struggling, just final words to them. Yeah, I think, yes, and, and uh, it's an honor to, to speak to them. Um, I think for, for for both categories, parents and youth workers, I would say rehearse the difficult conversations ahead of time. Don't wait until someone comes out to you, whether it's someone in your youth group or your in your own family. Don't wait until that moment um, before thinking through what you would want to say to them, particularly for parents, because that that moment, that conversation whether you like it or not, it's going to then define your relationship to that child for the next 10 years. And I've seen that go really well and I've seen it go really badly. Mm. So think in the cold light of day when there's no pressure and you don't feel like you've got a loaded gun pointed at you, think ahead of time, okay, what would be a really gospel way of responding if, if one of my kids says, hey, I'm struggling with this or even I'm not struggling with it, I've decided not to struggle with it. Um, what would be a very gospel-hearted way of of responding? Um, and then that way, if the situation comes up, you you can you're prepared for it. You're not sort of winging it, risking saying something that you might then regret. Um, in the vast majority of cases where it's kids with their parents, the thing the child is most worried about is is being kicked out or that you won't love them anymore. Um, in most cases, they already know what you think. So maybe resist the reflex to kind of do a, you know, Bible study on Romans 1 and instead just reassure them that that you love them and that, that that's not going anywhere. Um, and there, there may be a need for some difficult conversations, but I don't think that first time is going to be the right time for the, for the harder conversations. They need to come a bit further down the road. Mm-hmm. So. And much of the same applies to those in, in youth ministry too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's some great, great counsel. Um, just reminding our listeners, uh, the book is, Is God Anti-Gay? Subtitle and others, Other Questions About Jesus, the Bible, and Same-Sex Sexuality. Um, Sam, thank you again uh, for, again, speaking up on this, uh, then moving to, to write on this and uh, serving the church. We're, we're grateful for you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for all you guys are doing. Oh, come and buy without money.
だ」